0: Hi, and welcome to the Radius Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you're interested in finding out more information about Radius Church, please check us out on our website, radiuschurch.tv. Well, happy Easter again, everybody. If you weren't awake when you got here, you're awake now. And my prayers, if you don't listen to me, may your face melt off. No, I would never, I would never pray that. I'm just kidding. You think, how does this fit into the easter message that's not what i ought to be seeing on easter message but maybe there's more theology to that than than we might first expect see i know that most of us in this room we've heard at least bits and pieces of what easter represents we We hear preachers get up and say it's all about Jesus and and he's no longer amongst the dead and he's living and he rose again. And and we know about the cross and the blood and the whipping and the empty grave. All are key pieces of the Easter message and I don't want to leave them out at all. Uh, But none of that makes sense or none of that really has any purpose to it if we don't know the reason behind the easter message if if, if we don't really grab a hold of that so again i'm taking just a little bit of a different tour today and one more time let me just remind you in case you're freaked out we'll arrive at the same destination and it's jesus all right And Jesus, though, when he was on this earth, he wanted to find common ground to communicate. And if you study the the stories and the parables and even the messages of Jesus, there were some that were extremely theological. But most of the time, when Jesus was trying to communicate a truth, he would tell a story we now know them as parables as A matter of fact he would tell a parable a matter of fact here's the definition for a parable a parable is a culturally current fictitious story that illustrates a religious or a moral principle, all right? So with that being said, here's my Easter parable, everybody. This is my story that we take out of the Scripture. Uh, Now, the movie, it does provide some really strong preaching points that I'm going to show your attention at the very end. But let's start with this question because here's Indiana Jones, man. He's risking his life for the Ark of the Covenant. So the question is, what is up with this Ark? Why is it so powerful and why is it so sought after? So much so that they would make a movie about it. Well, let's back up a little bit. Today, you didn't know this, but I'm going to take you from Genesis all the way to Revelations in about 35 minutes. Are you guys ready? We're going to move fast. So God created this wonderful world in Genesis and He put man and woman in the world. And then He said, you're free to eat of any of the trees in the entire garden except for one. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you do, you will surely die. Now, every time I preach that, inevitably, somebody comes and says, well, why did God have to put that tree in the garden in the first place? It would have been a lot better for us if He wouldn't have put the tree in the garden. Well, we cannot have love if we don't have choices. We cannot have love if we don't have a free moral will. So out of all of the thousands of trees that were there, there was only all of the trees were labeled yes, But there was only one that was labeled no. And it was our choice whether we would love God and serve God or whether we would go our own way and do our own thing. Well, you know that Adam and Eve took the forbidden fruit. Let me show you this in Scripture, Genesis chapter number 2. It says, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, because I'm going from Genesis to Revelation, I'm just going to skim some things today, all right? And for when you eat from it, You will surely die. And that's exactly what happened. They died the moment that they took that forbidden uh, fruit. Two things happened right then. Immediately, they died spiritually. See, we were born spirit to spirit to have relationship with God. But when they rebelled or they chose to do it their way, then they died spiritually. So when we're born into this earth, we are born physically alive, we're born spiritually dead... Which is often the case why we go throughout life searching because there's part of us that's not alive. That's why Jesus told Nicodemus in the book of John, chapter number three, verse number three, that unless a man is born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven because we need to be born again spiritually. So that's the first thing that happened. The second thing that happened is we began to die physically. How I many you know that's true, right? <laughs> Uh, Our bodies, disease entered into the world, sickness entered into the world, age entered into the world. Can I get an amen on that, right? Joints began to hurt, uh, hair began to let loose, you know? Okay, because we began to die physically, we did die spiritually. Um, And so, but God still wanted to meet with us. So in the book of Exodus, he instructs a man by the name of Moses uh, he says, look, I want you to build this ark uh, called the Ark of the Covenant, and I want you to put it in the Tent of Meetings, all right? So let me give you a little bit of background. Again, I'm just skimming these things. So I want they were traveling out of Egypt, and they were traveling to a promised land, and while they were wandering, they had this what we'll call portable church, a gigantic tent called the uh, Tabernacle, and, and they would set it up, and that was... It was foreshadowing, if you would, just for the simplicity of today's message, it was foreshadowing what we are now a part of this morning. It was foreshadowing the gathering of God's people in God's place or in God's house called the church. Now, we understand it's way more than that, but for today's message, we're going to leave it alone right there. So the tent of meetings or the tabernacle was shadowing the place that God's people could come together together. And they could meet. And then he said, I want you to build this Ark of the Covenant. And I want you to put it in the tabernacle. And the Ark, they didn't realize it then. But we now know if the tabernacle was foreshadowing the church, then the Ark of the Covenant is a foreshadowing of Jesus, everyone. All right. And, and, and so, um, so here's the big idea behind that. Here, here's the message in that. And that is that Jesus should always be located in the church. Right, everybody? And the church is not a room in the back of a Mexican restaurant. Aren't you glad, everybody? The church is you and I, the people of God. And Jesus always should always be residing inside you and I, right? Because He doesn't dwell in the buildings made with hands, brick and mortar. He dwells in us. The reason I know Jesus is here today, because I brought Him with me, everybody. He's living and dwelling in me. Anybody else? Yeah, He lives and dwells inside of us. But sometimes we congregate and we come to buildings, and you've probably been to one. It says God on the outside, but you're having a hard time finding God on the inside. Mm-hmm. And, and so we're learning that the ark, Jesus, needs to be in the tabernacle of the church. And Jesus is not... Maybe the Jesus that you grew up knowing, Jesus is showing us a picture of grace. So let me show it another way. Grace ought to always be present when God's people are in the house. Mm -hmm. All right, I see I got some religious stuff to unfold here today. All right, so here's the Ark of the Covenant. Let me just kind of give you just a quick picture of it. When the Ark of the Covenant was made, it was made of uh, acacia wood, which is the most incorruptible wood there is. And it's covered... With gold, gold represents divinity. Wood represents humanity. So Jesus is a the Ark of the Covenant is a picture of who Jesus would be or is. And he is one hundred when he came to this earth. A hundred percent wood or humanity. A hundred percent gold or divinity. Right? Follow that, everybody. All right. Now in the Ark, there were three things that were placed in this box. Okay, and the lid, by the way, is the mercy seat. I won't have time to go into that today. If you want further details on all this, I preached a series not long ago called The Grace Train, where I really break this down a lot further, all right? So there were three things in the ark. Remember, the ark is Jesus. So in the ark, or we could say in Jesus, are these three things. Uh, Number one was the Ten Commandments. Number two uh, was Aaron's staff, who was a priest. And then number three is a jar of manna, okay? Remember the manna that came down from heaven? Okay, now all of them have great significance, but, but, and they're all in the ark. If you could lift the lid and look in the ark, the jar of manna, Aaron's staff, and then the Ten Commandments, they're in the ark, or they're in Jesus. Well, here's what these things represent. These things represent our failures, or our sin, or our rebellion towards God. And and it covers all the bases. It's our rebellion to God's commandments. It's our rebellion to God's authority. It's our rebellion to God's provision. Or it's our failure or our sin in those areas. Um, Now, so that's what's in the ark. Once a year, the high priest of the Old Testament, he, on, on a day called the Day of Atonement, uh, if I'm like way over your head right now, hold on. I'm going to get to some practical stuff, all right? On the Day of Atonement, the high priest, one time a year, would go through the tabernacle into the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies is where it was said that God dwelled, and it was behind a curtain or a veil. And he would go back there, and he would apply the blood for the forgiveness of all the people's sins on the mercy seat of the ark So that our sins would be forgiven and our sins would be covered. Now, nobody else was allowed into the Holy of Holies. So imagine, let's just put it in perspective. I don't want to put myself on any pedestal. But imagine that all of the sins that you guys and me committed this year. Let me give you a minute. Okay, all right. So all of the sins, one time a year, we're going to come. Let's say it's Easter Sunday, and we're going to sacrifice a lamb. I'm going to bring it into the room that nobody else can go into and apply it. How many of you be on pins and needles, wondering, man, I hope I get forgiven for this year? And you couldn't come in, so they would listen on the outside of the curtain for a sound. Because the the high priest would wear a particular garment. Let me show you just a little bit of it. In Exodus chapter number 28, it says, this is the garment that gold bells and pomegranates are to alternate around the hem of the robe. So imagine, he puts on this robe. There's a bell and a pomegranate and a bell and a pomegranate. They're very symbolic. I won't go into all of that. But they are a picture uh, of the Holy Spirit. Because the bell is a picture of a gift of the Spirit and the pomegranate is a picture of the fruit of the Spirit. And they would alternate, showing us it's not, it's not good that we just have bells and it's not good that we just have pomegranate. It's not good that we just have gifts and it's not good that we just have fruit. Uh, let me say it the way Paul said it in 1 Corinthians 13. If I can speak with the tongues of angels, gift but I don't have love, fruit, then I'm only a sounding symbol, right? Okay, so he puts this garment on and he walks behind the Holy of Holies, applies the blood, and the people wait to hear if the bells are still ringing because if the sacrifice was not accepted, the priest would be struck dead, all right? And you thought he got all the privileges. Yeah, he gets killed also, everybody, all right? Okay, and so they would wait for a sound. Okay, put all that on the shelf. Hold on to that for just a minute. Now, what happens is time goes on and the ark was taken from the house of God by the Philistines. So way before Indiana Jones started looking for the lost ark, another real life character wanted to find the ark. His name is David. David wanted to bring the ark back to the house of God. Let me me start putting it in perspective so you can get ahead of me. It is our responsibility to bring Jesus into the house of God. Not religion, not rules, not traditions, not our agendas. How many know that Easter Sunday and every Sunday and every day is about having Jesus in the house of God? Am I right about it so far, right? Okay, so... David, you know, David and the Bible says that David is a man after God's own heart. That's crazy. If you know any Bible background, this dude messed up a lot. All right. He had a lot of skeletons in the closet. Yet the Bible says he's a man after God's own heart. And I think it's because he worked so hard to get the Ark back in the house of God. Mm. I think the blessings are always on people that are ready to have grace in their lives and operate under grace. Let me take it a little further. So um, um, David wants to bring the ark back to a place called Zion. In the Old Testament, the word Zion is a picture of what the New Testament church would become. So watch it here in Psalms chapter 132. Hang with me just a couple more minutes and we'll get to some practical stuff. For the Lord has chosen Zion. Zion. It's Mount Zion, okay? He wanted the ark to reside on Mount Zion. Here's a side note real quick. Mount Zion is where he wanted grace to be. Zion is the church. Church is where grace should be. By the way, let me back up just a little bit. There was a man named Moses, remember? He brought them out of Egypt. Uh, He represents the law. He got the law on Mount Sinai and the day that he got the law known as the Ten Commandments, he came down the mountain with the law. And on that day, on 50 days after Passover, 3000 people died the day he brought the law down from the mountain. It's in your Bible. If we could just fast forward to give you something to cheer about. In the New Testament, 50 days after Easter Sunday, Passover, our our Jesus applies the blood, and that day the church is birthed, and 3,000 people come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. It's the difference, everybody. I might have lost some of you because it feels like PGA in here. But okay. But the difference is law brings death, come on now, and grace brings life. Yeah. And if you've been a churchgoer trying to live under the law, being good enough, you will always live under condemnation, shame, and guilt, never being good enough. The Easter message is not about you doing better. The Easter message is about a perfect Savior that died a perfect death and rose again, and it's about what He has done. Amen? So David wanted to bring the ark back to Zion. Zion is the church and the message there is grace has to reside in the church. And too often it doesn't. When we preach law and we when we preach that law is the way to God, then it brings death, it brings condemnation, it brings guilt, it brings shame. But Paul tells us in Romans 8 that there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Christ Jesus, alright? So, let's get this picture again. In the Old Testament, the priest, he goes through the tabernacle to the presence of God in the holy place and he applies the blood on the mercy seat for the forgiveness of our sins, the people's sins, and the people wait for a sound. The New Testament, we have a new high priest. His name is Jesus. And Jesus, He presents His blood... In the throne room of heaven. And all of what we now know as the church is also waiting for a sound. And it's the sound I want you to hear today. So let's back up one more step. And let me show you the behind the scenes of the Easter message. It's in your it's in your Bible. It's in the scripture. See, most of us know that Jesus died. And we have some kind of understanding that he died for my sins. And most of us know that he rose again. And we know the physical pictures of Easter, but often we don't know what's happening in the invisible supernatural world behind the scenes. And so I want to show you that today. It's in Revelations. Revelations. See, we're already in Revelation. I told you I'm taking you from Genesis to Revelation. And I got 30 whole minutes to go, but I won't take them all, all right? So we're in Revelations. In Revelations chapter number 5, uh, one of the disciples by the name of John penned the words of Revelation because he was given a vision from God. And in Revelations chapter number five, it shows us this picture of what's happening behind the scenes when the Easter message in real time is unfolding. So let's look at it together. Revelations chapter number five, verses one through five. And it says this, then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. Okay, hold that thought just a minute. I want to explain this a little bit. Then I saw in the right hand of Him who sat on the throne. This is God. Okay, so one of the elders in heaven, one of the 24 elders is in heaven, and he sees God sitting on His throne, and he has a scroll in his hand. Well, the scroll is a title deed, or it's God's will and testament. If we read His God's will and Old Testament and will and New Testament, we know then that it is His will that none would be lost But all would discover his plans and purposes for their lives. So that's what he's told. Let me say it another way because I just want you to get the imagery. Here's God in heaven sitting on his throne after creating man. But sin has entered into the world and the law required death, which means all of us are going to die. And so there God is sitting in the throne, on his throne, with this scroll in his hand that is the title deed to you and I. It it describes his plans for your life, his purposes for your life, his blessings for your life, his abundance for your life, his love for your life. I'll just keep going until you wake up, all right? His grace for your life. Unfortunately, no one can open that because the law required death on us because sin had entered into the world, all right? Okay, now you got the picture. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scrolls? But no one. In heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside of it. I wept and I wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll and look inside. Because it would take someone that lived perfect, fulfilled all the law died and fulfilling the requirements of the law, but being big enough and bad enough and strong enough to overcome death and hell and the grave. And so far, no one was able to do that. And so heaven is crying. Then one of the elders said, I love this part of the story. I mean, you think Indiana Jones is good Hollywood. This is good. All of heaven is weeping because we're lost in eternity with no hope. And you can imagine it how you want to. All right, this part right here, I'm just filling in between the lines. All right, everybody? I just could see Jesus, after defeating death, hell, and the grave, kicking the back door of heaven open. dun da da dun dun dun, 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 Dun-da-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun! Come on, you guys ever watch movies or anything? And then him strolling through, because then all of a sudden, this sad scene in heaven changes. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep, exclamation point. So if you think I'm loud, he was loud too. He said, see, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. What did he triumph over? He triumphed over the law. He triumphed over death. He triumphed over hell. He triumphed over the sin that was holding us from someone (laughs) opening the scroll of heaven, everybody. Watch this. Watch what it says. But he is able to open the scroll and it's seven seals. You don't even have to understand the Bible to get this. If you've ever had a rich uncle leave you something or anybody will something to you, you know you can't go into the desk drawer and grab the piece of paper that that's written on and go start claiming things. There's another family member that will punch you in the face if you do that. (laughs) It's not legal if you grab the paper. You have to go to an attorney and the the attorney gets to read the paper. Another word for attorney, no wisecracks here, another word for an attorney is an advocate. Isn't it interesting that Jesus is called our great advocate and legally no one could read the title deed to our lives. But here comes Jesus who has the legal right to read God's will and testament and plans and purposes for our lives. Come on, somebody now. Woo, don't you love that? Now, right before all that happens, now you can't see it in a linear timeline, okay? Now, right before all that happens, just to tie up a loose end, Jesus tells his disciples to wait here. We call it the upper room, Okay. Just to wait right here. Now, if anybody was ready to go talk about Jesus, how many have to agree with me? These disciples were ready, yeah. right? I mean, they've lived with him for three years. They've seen him do some cool stuff. But beyond that, they've just seen him arrested, mistried, beaten, whipped, crucified. And he's gone. And then he came back from the grave. And he's having fish breakfast with them on the beach. Yeah. I don't need any more motivation than that. I am an instant preacher after the fish. How many know what I'm saying, right? But he turns around and says, Nope, you're not ready. What do you mean we're not ready? We just touched your nail pierced hand. Nope, you're not ready. Wait in this room. I've got some stuff to do. Remember the high priest in the Old Testament? He goes and he applies the blood. And what do they do on the outside of the curtain? They wait to hear a sound. And they were not qualified until the sound. They were not redeemed until the sound. They were not forgiven until the sound. Ah. So watch Jesus, Revelations 5, go to heaven and apply the blood at the mercy seat of God. Watch him come to the throne room of God and change a weeping into celebration. Right. And watch the disciples not knowing what's going on behind the scenes, but they, that Jesus, the high priest, is applying his own blood. And watch them waiting in an upper room, uh, uh, i.e. on the outside of the curtain. And the bible says in acts chapter number two watch this acts chapter number two they're waiting suddenly uh-oh there it is a sound suddenly a sound suddenly a sound and that ladies and gentlemen birthed what we now know as the new testament church that gave us our forgiveness that gave us our redemption that gave us grace that gave us our ticket into heaven that gave us relationship with jesus it was the sound come on everybody it's the sound And it was a sound. Watch this. It was the sound of a blowing violet wind. If you read the rest of that, it was technically the sound of the Holy Spirit. What was it in the Old Testament? The sound of the Holy Spirit. The bell and the pomegranates, the gifts and the fruit. Come on, everybody. It's the Holy Spirit that empowered them. Jesus had applied the blood. He sat down. And oh, by the way, when He applied the blood, remember that curtain that separated God from man? That curtain was a veil and it was ripped in half saying that all of us now have access into the throne room of heaven, directly into the presence of God. That's your Easter message, everybody. Right? Okay, that would be good, but I still got like a pitiful hand clap on that, all right? So, not me, but in a minute you're going to really celebrate. Now, that's a good message, but can I go back to the movie for just a minute? I just, I got some loose ends about the movie that I just got to wrap up. I'll do it in about five minutes. Um, I was thinking this movie provides, well, I would say, here's some lessons I learned from Indiana Jones, but some would say that's heresy, so... So just to make you mad, let me say it anyway. Here's some (laughs) lessons I learned from Indiana Jones. Wink, wink. So here's really the message I learned from the gospel. See if you don't see the gospel in these lessons. Real quick, three of them. Number one, many people are digging in the wrong place. If you ever watched a movie, come on, did anybody see this movie? Do you remember back in the 80s? That was pretty good technology for the 80s, by the way. I just want you to know, right? When you if you remember Indiana Jones, he was figuring out, oh, no, it's not there. It's over here. And they go find the Ark. And while they're being lowered down into where the Ark was, the shadow on the movie in the movie, there's different groups of people digging in multiple places. And if you watch the movie, teams had gone for hundreds of years before Indiana Jones and thought it was over here and was over here. In other words, there was a whole lot of people digging in wrong places. Say, what's your point, Ken? I'm glad you asked. In the movie, they're digging in the wrong places. But I wonder how many people are in churches even this morning and we're digging in the wrong places looking for the message of Jesus. We're looking for Jesus in law. We're looking for Jesus in tradition. We're looking for Jesus in a 2,000-year-old message. And the message is not in all those places. The message is in grace, everybody. Come on now. We're searching too many people. My fear about church on Sunday morning is people come on Sunday morning and they're really looking for something that the church has said they have. Joy and peace and a fulfillment that only comes when our spirit man comes to life. But what is happening is oftentimes preachers are holding the shovel, handing out shovels and shoveling out a bunch of stuff under the description of religion and rules and ritual rather than preaching the message of grace. I want you to know that Christianity is not about you living right. It's about a Jesus. He lived right. He lived perfect. He died perfect. He rose perfect. And now we are in Him. The Bible says in Him we live and in Him we move and in Him we have our very being. That's why the ark When we receive Jesus, it's as though we get in the ark. We take all of our rebellion, all of our sin, and we put it in the ark, and it's covered by His mercy and His grace. The mercy seat—that's the message of Easter. Everybody, come! Makes me want to get a hat and a whip and go be a raider of the lost ark. Everyone. Number two, here's the second message I learned from this: is that He had to overcome many obstacles and traps to find the ark. Isn't that true? right? I mean, come on. That's one of the things you love about the Indiana Jones series. I I mean, there's always, oh, there goes a spear, and oh, duck down, and oh, stand up, and and somebody that had gone before him with a knife through the skull, right? There was all these traps. And as the movie unfolds, there was all these riddles. He'd read something that made no sense, and then all of a sudden one word would be, oh, now I get it. We're supposed to go right instead of left, you know? And there was all these riddles. Mm, It makes me think a little bit. That even in our world, there's a lot of traps. There's a lot of pitfalls. You'll come to church and somebody in the church will treat you wrong and you'll never come to church again. Aren't you glad the disciples didn't stop following Jesus because of Judas? Ah, never mind. That's another message. (laughs) (laughs) Riddles. Sometimes people come to church and church is filled with so many riddles. If you do this, if you look like this, if you act like talk right... And so many riddles and you just think, oh, if I come to church enough, I'll get all the riddles lined up and finally get a revelation and find Jesus. It was never supposed to be riddles for us, friends. It was never about us figuring it out. It was never about us getting some treasure map and finding Jesus. I want you to know Jesus found you 2000 years ago when he died on a cross and all we have to do is receive the free gift of grace. Amen, everyone. Amen. Let me give you the third one and I'll let you get on your way. The third thing is, and this is why I showed the video, what was in the box or what was in the ark, it brings death. Now you might have thought, I just opened that message with faces melting off just to be cute and get your attention. That's not why I did it at all. Actually, Hollywood kind of got this part right. Now I don't know about the faces melting off and I don't know about the spirits coming out, all that kind of stuff, but there were people that died. In fact, the Bible says that there was a group of men that lifted the lid of the ark and looked at the contents in it and they died. Why? Because God never want us to be focused on the law. God wanted us to be focused on the lid. Uh, I just dropped a bomb on you and you didn't even realize it. <laughs> Let me show it to you in Scripture so you know I'm not making it up. 1 Samuel chapter number 6. This is just part of the story. But God struck down some of the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh, putting 70 of them to death. Why? Because they looked into the ark of the Lord. Why did they die? Because when you remove the lid of grace, when you remove the lid of mercy, when you start telling people what they have to do, what they have to look like, what they have to act like, and all the requirements to attend here and to be a part, then what we do is we give death to them and they are filled with condemnation, shame, and guilt. And all shame and condemnation and guilt does is melt your face off, everybody. All it does is bring death. Come on. Come on. I'm going to close this service when I get 100% of people clapping for the grace of Jesus, all right? When you remove grace, you get death. When you remove Jesus, all you have left is the law and there's a lot of churches that have removed Jesus and they're trying to get you to do right instead of focusing on that he has done right. So when you remove Jesus, you've removed grace. When you remove grace, all you've got left is the sin and the rebellion that is in the box. But the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, which means all of us should have a death. But Jesus came in his mercy and in his grace and took all of our shame and guilt and put it. inside of Him and covered us by His grace. Come on, everybody. Yeah. So what's the message of Easter? It's that Jesus conquered death, hell, and the grave. And it's not about what we do. It's about what He did. Our message of Easter is all a message about grace. He is the grace that covers our wrong. And from now on, I want to make sure, and I hope you'll make sure, we're all Raiders of the Lost Ark. Amen, everybody. Would you receive that today? Come on, give the Lord a good hand clap.